Good day, Peaks Podcast podcast listeners. This is Brad from 14,000 feet above sea level on Denali, in Denali National Park. (coughs) Today, we have a lot of interesting things to talk about. I am outside of the 14,000-foot camp staring at the headwall rising several thousand feet above me, watching a skier skiing nice turns right down the face of the headwall. We had a couple inches of powder yesterday, and he is making the best of it. First skier I've seen today. Of course, climbers either skin up with their skis or use crampons and climb. Our expedition is the latter, climbing with crampons. We're going to spend a little bit of time today talking about the climb (coughs) to 16,300 feet above sea level that we made this morning. I have to admit, it was a little tiring, you know, regardless of when you leave. You know, the sun was up. We got up at 6 a.m., breakfast, 6.30. We hit the trail 7.45-ish a.m., and the cloud, the shade was still on the headwall. We were able to climb three-quarters of the way up the headwall in shade. That translates into a couple hours. The shade was critical because I watched groups when we were coming down in early afternoon that were just crazy. The heat was so hot uh, with the sun baking on the glacier. It must have been simulated 70 degrees, and I I could have done it. It was an exhausting day just doing it uh, when we did. Of course, our our guides picked the perfect approach time, in my opinion. It was a bluebird day. It is a bluebird day uh, with some clouds coming in now, of course, but this morning was bluebird with no winds, maybe a slight wind down glacier. I want to talk to you about the climb and then some camp details for this number eight podcast, episode eight. If you haven't listened to the earlier ones and gotten a feel for where we're at, I would suggest that. But if not, you can just jump in now and listen on. It's all good. Today, it really felt like we are on the great one. It is a steep pitch. The headwall head is 50 degrees. There is a feature called a Bertram. And the Bertram is a divide where the glacier has actually cracked off. So imagine a glacier on the top of the mountain clinging to the rock face and 
several hundred yards down, there's this big crack along the whole glacial uh, perimeter, and it's forming uh, like a crevasse. It forms a crevasse in the wall where the downhill portion is lower. You know, the weight of this massive glacier has pulled it apart from the upper part. And that's exactly the crux of the climb where the rope starts. We have a fixed line from there to the summit of the West Buttress. Very, very famous feature. Uh, perhaps you've heard about it. I'm staring at it and uh, on 180 degrees around me. And it is magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. Pull up some pictures after listening to this podcast of the Western Buttress. Because I'll do my best to describe it, but it's almost undescribable. So, at this divide, this rope dangles straight down. And we, as climbers, clip our line, you know, two, three, and four-man lines. We clip onto the fixed rope. We attach what is called a jumar. They come in two versions, a right-handed or a left-handed jumar. The jumar <coughs> is a device that you thread a rope through, and you move it up the rope, and then it does not allow the the device to slide back down. So it's very handy when you're climbing a steep slope. You tie that jumar into your your harness that's wrapped around your waist. And that is what your safety line to the mountain is, your point of connection. It's very steep. So without a jumar, you could fall thousands of feet and obviously die. So <clears throat> jumar is critical. We also call, we have another device called a kautai. Kautai is a rope that's also carabinered into your into your uh, waist, into your belt, and it is a t- it's a, at the end of it is a locking carabiner, and that locking carabiner also is attached to a rope, the fixed line. So that gives you added protection. Let's say if your Jumar fails, <coughs> or when you negotiate a protection piece. So imagine a fixed line running a half a mile, a quarter mile down a mountain from the summit down. And there might be 15 contact points every 50 yards, every every 40-some meters. And this contact point ties into the mountain, and then there's a rope or a sling that attaches to the rope, the, the long rope, giving it security to the mountain. 
So you're proceeding up this long dangling rope, and you come to the protection, one of, you know, let's say 15. Each time you gotta unhook that jumar and put it on the upper end of the rope above the protection. And then, well, actually before you do the jumar, you put your cow tie up, then you do your jumar so that you're constantly protected. And you do this process repetitively up the mountain. I know it doesn't really sound like much, but it is truly exhausting. Now, remember, we're at between 14 and 16,000 feet above sea level on a 50-degree pitch with 15 to 20 pounds of equipment on and a backpack with 30, 40 pounds. So the whole exercise becomes uh, pretty complicated. Anyhow, that was this morning. We made it to the summit of the West but or the West Buttress Saddle, where the rope finishes. From there, there's various protection along the West Buttress Ridge. We traveled a short while to our guide's cache from last trip. The cache was very interesting. Ninety plus percent of the other guides or groups cache down below at the saddle where the rope is meets the western buttress. Our cache was, uh, was positioned on top of this rock ledge in a very, very precarious area and it was a beautiful view down. Looking almost 2,000, well, over 2,000 vertical feet down on our camp. They looked like little ant houses, midget uh, tents down in the distance. Crystal clear air, you could see every tent. Matter of fact, I had some spare time, so I counted them up, and there are 81, approximately 81 tents in the 14,000 foot camp. And then I didn't include the Park Service. The Park Service has about nine at the far side of the camp, which we talked about in Episode 7. Uh, we saw two Park Service uh, rangers climbing this, um, this morning. One was a VIP from Nepal, uh, Nepal, a Nepalese fellow, and another girl, I believe, was from the States, U.S. Park Service. And they were climbing uh, the head wall. Didn't really get to uh, hear what they were doing exactly, but uh, they were constantly going up and down, doing their routines and checking for safety. So that's, uh, once we got to our cache, I dug it out. We retrieved some items from previous uh, expedition of uh, Jacob. And then we put all our stuff that we described in the last podcast into the cache and buried it. We'll return there in two days, we'll, or three days, two or three days, depending on weather. We'll retrieve it, bring it to high camp. 
this was good exercise for today, great practice. It reduces our total load that we have to carry uh, in, up to high camp. And it also, most importantly, helps us acclimatize. I'm feeling really blessed. My earlier training for 60 days at 9 to 12, 13,000 feet for uh, the month, uh, 60 days before this trip, seemed to be paying off uh, in hearts. It wasn't that uh, taxing on my lungs today. As I recall, it was 13 months ago when I was here. But the heat takes its toll. Matter of fact, I'm going to take another sip of uh, electrolytes uh, while, we're while we're talking. Oh my gosh, that's good. Sitting up here in a blue bottle in the glimmering sun, it looks like a little jewel on the glacier. So we're playing a little game in camp, and we have four days here or so. So yesterday we put up a flag that I bring with me when I travel to various countries. This would be the first flag, first time I posted it on, well, this is the first mountain I posted it in uh, in the United States. I did it also 13 months ago when I was here. And I'm uh, proud to have our U.S. flag flying above our tent with a big peace symbol in the top left corner. So it's interesting. We also have a of how many foreign nationals are here climbing at the 14,000-foot camp. And not trying, just in casual introductions, we have 16 different nations represented. That does include the U.S. of A. And a number of them came over to get pictures, photo ops with our flag. So it's really fun to talk to various people. We had a fellow from Malaysia that came over to get a picture. We had a group of uh, Japanese that stood in the trail and took pictures. And, uh, and you know, it's a fun way to, to uh, create conversation here at our 14,000-foot camp. And it looks awfully pretty when the wind blows, too. So the clouds are rolling in. Uh, last night we had a full moon. Some One of our team got up to go to the bathroom and told me that the flag with the silhouette of the moon in the background was unbelievable. So I'm going to try and get up tonight and get a couple photos of that. Uh, it'll be close to a full moon this evening as well. Our weather forecast, our, our lifeline up here, is looking good for the next couple days. They're supposed to, so it is Thursday. Um, I should go through that. It is Thursday, day nine of our expedition, or 13, day 13 of my expedition, as we've explained in the past. 
episode 13 of Uncharted Colorado for the Great One. Nine represents on the mountain. Thursday, the weather is perfect. The weather forecast is described previously, and the forecast is good. Saturday, there is a chance of a low pressure moving in. So we're going to keep a close eye on that. And what they do is they'll give three days in advance. So they gave... Yeah, yesterday they gave Thursday, Friday, Saturday, saying Saturday, uh, low moving in possibly. So today we'll have a better idea what's going to happen Saturday, Sunday. Um, because that would be potentially our move day up to high camp, and so weather is critical, as we will be in the uh, danger zone, if you will. Um, this, the next camp is our last camp before summit, and it is harsh. It's uh, known to be one of the more difficult places on the planet to hang out. As a matter of fact, the Park Service has a stronghold there, and they leave. I repeat, they leave their 17 camp when the storm is approaching. Their high-risk pay is not enough for the consequences of uh, a storm at that elevation. The <clears throat> why it's so dangerous is, is there's no easy way to get home down here to 14 or lower if a big storm hits. I mean, you're just, you're isolated. And, of course, it eliminates the option of uh, airbag with big winds. So, anyhow, uh, that's a big consideration here. And uh, at 8 p.m., we'll be listening to that radio tonight with the uh, ears wide open. So, really appreciate you tuning in to our Peaks podcast. Uh, we'll continue to update you through our the entire uh, expedition. Please feel free to leave reviews. Uh, we have a website, peakspodcast.rock, peakspodcast.rock, where we will be posting pictures and sequencing them <coughs> with the different episodes so you can get a better idea. Some of the concepts uh, I'm sure are quite foreign uh, when describing these uh, climbing uh, techniques and different uh, items. So we'll try and fill the website with uh, photos to give you a better idea. Please refer us to your friends and family uh, and write any reviews if you can spare a little time. That helps us get a better visibility. From 14,000 feet, this is Brad with Peaks Podcast. Thank you very much for listening and have a great day.